I'm Hannah Alberga. And I'm Catherine DeClerc. And this is Ballot Box, your one-stop shop for everything you need to know about the politics and the drama unfolding on the provincial election campaign trail. Your record on public education, Mr. Ford, is an embarrassment, and you should be ashamed of yourself for what you have done to kids across this province, like mine and the hundreds of thousands of others, they just want a premier. Do you want to talk about embarrassment? Yeah, you destroyed this it. province let's, in every area, no matter the economy, hospitals, just, long-term care. If I might. You destroyed this no. province. People are on strike for good wages because Mr. Ford's buddies figured out that he's setting a stage for a low-wage economy. And so we have Layuna on strike. We have carpenters on strike. Mr. Ford, if you want to build capacity in our health care system, you have to make sure you invest in the people who deliver that care. It's officially past the halfway point of this election, with the big event of the week, the second leaders' debate, now checked off the list. This one took place in Toronto and dove into four subtopics, the economy, healthcare, education, and leadership. Just days after the debate, there was also an unscheduled big event that took place. Two of the four main party leaders tested positive for COVID-19 as of recording on Thursday afternoon. Green Party leader Mike Schreiner and NDP leader Andrea Horvath both say they were experiencing mild symptoms and are shifting their in-person campaigns to the confines of their computer screens. I decided to um, take a test because uh, somebody I'd been in close contact with tested positive. And when I took that test, uh, I tested positive. Uh, I'm feeling fine, um, developed a bit of a slight cough. So far, Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca and PC leader Doug Ford both say they're testing negative and symptom-free. Now, getting back into Monday night, when all four party leaders were assembled together on stage for the debate, it was honestly a relatively civil, considering there was four people all vying for the same position, up against one another. But that doesn't mean there was any shortage of one-line zingers, ping-pongs from one side of the stage to the other. Let's start with the binder, which has attracted more attention than any binder probably ever has. Uh, there's nothing wrong with putting notes to make sure you're, you're organized. Matter of fact, in North Bay, uh, they, they had their notes and I had my notes. They had the choice to bring it. I didn't, but guess what? People don't care about that. Do you know what they care about? They care about jobs of the future. They care about their kids when they get out of university and college, that they have a proper job to go to. Ford brought notes to the debate, organized in a binder with a metal spine, and the other party leaders did not shy away from voicing their thoughts on why the PC leader felt the need to carry a cheat sheet on stage with him. Uh, yes, Mr. Ford was beside me. He had his binder, uh, and, and he certainly did refer to it quite a bit. That was his choice. That was his decision. Uh, from what I could see, uh, none of the other uh, candidates had a binder or any written notes, pre-written notes. A less outlandish topic that frequently surfaced was the pandemic, or more specifically, how Doug Ford handled it. The PC leader actually admitted that it was the most challenging time of his term as premier, and that he didn't get everything right. He reiterated that he made the best decisions he could with the medical advice he was given at the time. But liberal leader Stephen Del Duca was in no mood for sympathy. I thought it was shameful that tonight Doug Ford was looking for pity from the people of Ontario as he talked about how hard he's worked and how tough it's been over the past couple of years. Doug Ford seems to not understand that's the job that he ran for four years ago. You don't just get to be Premier when it's parades and sunshine. Union support also took shape as a relatively new party feature that PCs were keen to show off. 
While the NDP is typically thought of as the pro-worker party, Ford is hoping to steal that title by praising his numerous endorsements, even suggesting the NDP has lost their touch when it comes to labor support. Of course, Horvath turned down Ford's claims, insisting that her support for working people would never end. Speaking of supporting working people, a stark difference between the PCs and the other parties was laid out in relation to Bill 124, a piece of legislation restricting pay increases in the public sector to 1% annually. Nurses have long called for the bill to be repealed or for healthcare workers to be given an exemption. The NDP and Liberals both mentioned the repeal of Bill 124, but it was the Green Party leader, Mike Schreiner, who provided the punchline. Mr. Ford, have you talked to a nurse lately? Have you talked to a nurse about how disrespected they feel, how overworked and underpaid and underappreciated they are, how insulted they feel? being called heroes and then essentially having their wages cut by having them frozen. Also, Highway 413, an issue practically synonymous with this election, came up first in Ford's opening remarks and then sprinkled throughout the 90 minutes, further emboldening that line that divides Ford from his opponents on this topic. And the people in Vaughan, in Keldon, in Brampton, they want the 413. But controversy wasn't the only kind of interaction that manifested on stage Monday night. Something that vaguely resembled camaraderie took shape, coming from Ford who applauded Shriner's transparency, suggesting that the two leaders could form an unlikely union. And you're that type of guy that, that you can put the political stripes behind you. We went out to Medline, a, a huge company out in Guelph. We cut the ribbon together. Uh, I, get, I, can work, I can work with Mr. Triner. Okay, so that was 90 minutes of debate time condensed in just a few minutes. Of course, if you want to dig into the meat of any of these issues, we have extensive breakdowns you can dive into at ctvnewstoronto.ca. Now, well, let's touch on the debate from a new angle, picking up on something we've mentioned in past episodes, but both spent much more time with this week. Strategy. We had a chance to sit down with Muhammad Ali, a senior consultant for Crestview Strategy, to learn more about why Ford has shied away from the media this election and really limited his public appearances. Here's Ali explaining when this all began. It's been a strategy they've implemented, I want to say for a better part of a year and a half at this point. There was a point when, um, you know, Doug Ford was doing, you know, daily press conferences, and all of a sudden he just stopped doing those and, and became really spaced out. And I started putting, like, Christine Elliott forward and other cabinet ministers to become the, the bearer of bad news or being, you know, whether there's more restrictions or, or whatnot. Uh, is an attempt to sort of realize that like he is overexposed and when he's overexposed he has a tendency to say off the cuff things that are, are not, uh, they don't resonate or can be controversial. Uh, and sometimes he'll be well intended or sometimes he'll be completely ignorant to what he is saying, just kind of says it. Meanwhile, the day of the debate, Google search trends for Del Duca's name skyrocketed. Muhammad Ali credited this to the fact that many voters still don't know who the liberal leader is. To try and put an end to that cycle, Del Duca has been leaning heavily on his personal life. He often referenced his wife and children in his debate answers, and Del Duca's family, including his very cute dog, appeared prominently in many of the leader's advertisements. 
Ali told us this is an attempt to humanize Del Duca and show that he is relatable to the voters. People, when they see their leader of a party, they, they think of them as sort of like a robot or something, right? Like, they don't see them as, like, relatable, um, that they're so far away from them. And so it's an attempt and a strategy to, to demonstrate, hey, look, like, I'm living through the same challenges, like, my my parents are, my my children are, my wife is, I've, you know, had a brother who passed away, and, and so, like, he's trying to be relatable, and he's been doing that throughout the campaign, because people are learning for the first time who he is, and so you want to ensure they get the real Stephen Del Duca. After a disappointing 2018 election, Del Duca is also trying to distinguish his team and policies from that of his predecessor. He's been using the phrase, the new Ontario Liberal Party, to do just that. With the debate now behind us, the question is, what's next? We spoke with CTV News Toronto's Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris to find out. It's been a really busy week. I just, you know, we're into the middle of the campaign now. And so we're getting a sense of what the leaders have on offer, looking at places they're going and the, the writings they think are going to be important come June 2nd. But it's been really busy and, and a lot to keep up with on a daily basis. It seems like the last few weeks have all been leading up to the debate. Now that it's over, what can we expect? I think what you'll start to see now is based on the debate and the reaction that people had to the leaders and their their ideas on offer is really fine tuning uh, the the messages for writings that now the parties think that they can win or that they're afraid they might lose and need to spend some time in that writing to hang on to. So I think over the next little while, seeing where the leaders spend their times or in some cases, uh, not even the leaders, their deputies, other prominent members of the party where they spend their time will say a lot. For example, this week, Andrew Horvath had plans to be in one part of the province, but she had uh, some prominent members of her caucus out in Brampton talking about uh, talking about highway infrastructure or making uh, driving easier for for commuters in Brampton. So those are some some different things that they're just going to try to be talking in different parts of the province that really matter as much as they can in that run up to June. And tell me a bit about how COVID is going to enter this race as well as how it's going to impact things. Well, now with some leaders testing positive, it's going to add a a complication to this thing. And you wonder if it also um, reinserts COVID into the discussion because it's been a little bit in the background of of everything we've been talking about. We've been talking broadly about healthcare, but not so much about COVID. Um, And so it will hamper leaders' ability to get out, to shake hands, to get FaceTime in and writings that they think are on the bubble either for or against their party and that could that could hurt them they'll they'll be trying as much as they can to do some virtual campaigning we've seen that happen already but it's just not the same as as pulling up in your um you know your campaign vehicle your bus and waving and kissing some babies and being on the local news um you know being out in the community it's just not quite the same We've seen multiple attempts by nearly all political parties to smear the name of local candidates. Do you anticipate seeing more of this? Have any of the claims stood out to you? I think there, you know, there can always be more. It's hard to say, but I think what's interesting, right, is is all the smears have come out in writings that one party or the other thinks uh, that they can be competitive in. So we've seen we've seen the NDP in particular digging up a lot of dirt on liberal candidates. 
And because the, in those writings, those are those are their competitors, they think. So they're trying to do anything they can to discredit their rival and, and you know, put some mud on the name of somebody. Um, so a voter in that riding who might be flipping between, you know, voting liberal or NDP will have that name association with some bad stuff. I'm not sure that there's any one candidate or storyline um, that stands out to me other than we've had a couple um you know, a couple discussions around some candidates who are really young and they're online words. And I think going forward, there's going to have to be a more broad scale discussion about what is the line at which we are look, willing to look the other way for things we said as we were young. Because I think you talk so much about wanting to have young people engaged in politics more and increasingly we'll have candidates who grew up online and will have said some regrettable things in their past and have grown past it, but have not, you know, scrubbed their history clean. So there will have to be a more wholesale discussion about what we're willing to tolerate, what kind of second chances we're willing to give people. And it just, it doesn't seem we're there yet, even though there are a lot of young people, I think in the structure of politics, that's going to have to be, I think, a moving target going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And moving forward, what do these party leaders have to do in this last stretch to rally the support gain the attention and for some change their fate in the polls um, that they need to do in this short amount of time? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, Doug Ford has just is keep on keep on doing what he's doing. I mean, just talk about his own party, which is mostly what he's done and really paint uh, the NDP and liberals as parties that would take the province backwards in a time of, of relative prosperity for the province. It's a really hard thing. And it might be, again, more on a, a riding by riding basis for uh, for the NDP and the liberals. Increasingly into the back part of the campaign, we will see the thing happen that happens in every campaign in Canada when you're talking about splitting the vote on the left is there will be increasing conversation about strategic voting. We've seen Andrew Horvath address that and talk about, you know, her party being the only one this time to unseat uh, the PCs, talking about the the seat count she had in the last election, which, you know, I, I think obviously that assumes they hang on to all their seats and, and you know, it, that's unlikely to happen. Um, and so that's it's just going to be a difficult task, I think, for the the um, the Liberals and the NDP in particular. We know that the Greens got a bit of a bump after the debate. We kind of always see that because I think voters tend to be impressed by what they see from the Greens. So there might be a, a greater vote count. Whether that translates into more seats for the Greens is, is quite another matter. Now for your polling update this week. A nano survey commissioned by CTV News Toronto and CP24 found that Ontarians generally thought that Doug Ford was the winner of the debate on Monday, although Mike Schreiner received the most positive impressions. The progressive conservatives appear to be holding on to their lead in the polls, while the NDP slipped to third place both in terms of party support and choice of premier. Del Duca's new Liberal Party has been able to pick up some points this week, sliding into second place in both categories. More decided voters also appear to be putting their support behind the Green Party, who jumped about four percentage points over the last week. That's all from us this week. Election Day is now a week and a half away, which means we have just one more episode of Ballot Box left before we tie up the series the morning after the election, when we find out who will be the next premier of this province. 
So stick with us on this journey. Tune in next Friday and don't miss the fourth episode of Ballot Box, available on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.